It was a great Palmer success. Is yeah. Dead of Twin Peaks Podcast Part 15. There's some fear in letting go. Oof. And that oh. has a double meaning for all of us because we are uh, about this weekend will be the last episode of Twin Peaks. And uh, what you missed, listeners, was a tearful, <laughs> tearful toast between me and Pat and Melissa about just can't can't believe you know we've reached we're almost at the end of this journey i mean it has to be almost 40 hours yeah double that <laughs> considering we watched yeah. most of the episodes together well, yeah that's and triple it because a lot of, of hours 48 episodes right so yeah. 30 yeah. plus 18 a lot of hours when you look at our podcast journey and then add on top of that twin peaks which is like <laughs> There has never been a thing where there are two seasons and then 25 years later there's another season. I guess X-Files. <laughs> but it wasn't as long of a gap. Right. It wasn't as long of a gap. It was a different... It's a different vibe. Right. It there, was less there's a lot classic. Of, well, there's a lot of series doing that right now. Yeah. But this is the best one. This is I the mean, best. And I think a everything lot of... Else is- yeah. Like full house is that's a gimmick, you know. Right, right, and this is more for the fans more it than is. just being like, you know, who doesn't have a job? Uh, whatever DJ's real name <laughs> right. is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and all three of us this week at separate times have said how we feel like the way we view television has changed from Twin Peaks and like. I think the way I view television, the way I view social interactions, I feel like a more intuitive person. I swear. I agree. Like I had some very deep Game of Thrones um, work chatter, and I was like, well, if you really look at it and into the past, in the character development that they're yeah. doing, I was like, whoa, Twin Peaks. Yes. <laughs> and in 15, um, you know, even more so, I'm amazed by the way they build and flesh out minor characters i'm really impressed with and if i ever became a director would steal this idea of like characters not necessarily knowing their full story when they come on set because you can tell like Chantal and hutch have so much backstory and relationship and their scenes are so filled with stuff like (laughs) They're great characters and they're super interesting and they're not acting like we're minor characters. You know, right. every character is acts as though how we all do. We don't so go about our life the being main character? secondary yeah. characters yeah. in someone else's right. life. We're all the main characters. Right. Yeah. And you really see that in his world. Yeah, and they're the funnest, like murderous couple you'll ever meet. Yeah, meant. they are they Chantel really is just always hungry. I love that about her. She's really they really won my heart. Like it's hard to make characters who have murdered mercilessly other characters that we care about or just were humans and don't like to see yeah. so likable, but they are very likable characters. So it's a tough episode. It's dedicated to Margaret Latterman, who not only plays the log lady, but really is the log lady. So kind of the, the they decided to name her character Margaret Latterman, which is her real name. And oh, she's credited. Really? I don't think I put two and two together. Yeah. Oh. In the original series, she's just the log lady and they never say They call her Margaret. Margaret. They call do her they? Margaret, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But they do. I think, and I could be totally wrong, but I think that they've 
chosen to name this character her real name. And when she's credited, it's like Margaret Latterman as the log lady or some sort of one of those credits right, that you right. typically have when it's like, you know, Kelsey Grammer as Kelsey Grammer, like you're playing mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, and in a lot of special features of Twin Peaks, David Lynch has Margaret Latterman doing like narration or behind the scenes, and little extras. So she is a really yeah. beloved, important character. We knew she passed away, and this is her, you know, homage episode, so it's dedicated to her, and of course, there's some fear in letting go, is a lovely direct reference to her. In her soliloquy. Yeah. That she has with Hawk. I guess it's not a soliloquy, because Hawk's a mother line. I mean, but halfway through it, there's no phone next to her. I mean, before we get into, like, the play-by-play... I'm amazed in this episode and in 16, which we'll talk about in a a, a bit later, I'm amazed at, you know, the way that we can have these super sweet, lovely, idyllic scenes and then the most cynical, like, darkest of human nature in one TV show. And they really play them opposite each other in a beautiful way. And I think the beginning two sequences are beautiful evidence of that and are really handled well. Um... So we start out with a lovely image of Nadine walking down the street with her golden shovel, walking to Big Ed's gas farm. She's just radiated with contentment and joy, going to tell Ed that she's been a selfish bitch. She's manipulated (laughs) him, and she wants him to be free. It's just a lovely... It's really sweet. Lovely sentiment. She says, true love is giving the other what makes them happy. Oh, no. so, I thought that was the most beautiful she idea. She still loves Ed. She still loves him, but she's yeah. setting him free. And he says, and, and she does seem like she's being totally genuine. There is one cynical piece of me that was like, could she be bipolar and this is the North Pole? And when she comes down to the South Pole, it won't right. be that way. She could but, be. And, and he, he insinuates that because yeah. he says, you know, like tomorrow, tomorrow you won't feel that way. Yeah. But I don't think that's true. She I think she is shoveling herself like... out of the shit. And that's what she said. Yeah. I walked here. I thought yeah. about it. She, she has she to have a weird attraction to Dr. Am. So yes. like, also it's like, well, it's two, it's two, two motives. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a lovely idea that true love is giving the other what makes them happy. And it's it's a nicer way. I hate that cliche that's like, if you love something, let it free. Because, like, it's it's an excuse for too many douchebags to be like, but baby. <laughs> like, but I do like this idea. If you love someone, it's giving them what makes them happy. And the idea that she is going to let Ed yeah. be with Norma. In this case, she 100% knows that he wants to be with Norma. Yeah. It's not like, you know, he's into her and then yeah. she's saying that. So it's a different situation, I think, when she says. And it's a beautiful image of her. She looks so happy. It's mm-hmm. gorgeous sunlight, you know. And I like the golden nice shovel. shovel. I think it's a nice image. <laughs> and I like the choice that it's not like she came strolling up arm in arm with Jacoby. It, she is having her private moment with Ed and it's about them. And then the transition is just perfect. Otis Redding, I've Been Loving You Too Long, which is just one of the most beautiful songs that really, if there's a song that's Ed and, uh, and Norma, it's this song about I've Been Loving You, our affair keeps going on, but I keep feeling stronger. I mean, it's so beautifully placed. 
Again, I just think the sound design of this show is perfect. Like, every song is so good. Um, and, of course, Ed is just going to charge into the double R and get Norma. But lo and behold, <laughs> here comes Walter. Walter. You know, so he has to take a moment, step aside. And, like, they play it perfectly because the music fades a little bit. He's sitting on the counter. Um and then we get a lovely scene with Norma Sing and Walter. At the counter and orders a cup of coffee and a cyanide tablet. That's right. So he thinks <laughs> it's over. Right. Yeah, yeah, he thinks it's over. So we all go in with, oh, Norma. I know. <laughs> and what I love about this scene with Walter and Norma, you know, the plot point is that she's going to give up the franchise. Seven diners. Seven diners. Number theory. <laughs> but... The more important point and the lovely nostalgia, this is a, this whole sequence is like a big Twin Peaks payoff for the fans. Right. Is when he says, I thought you told me you had no family. She says, no, I have a wonderful family and I want to spend more time taking care of them. And of course, by that, she means Shelly and the double R and Ed. Right, right. So in us, you know, the Twin Peaks double R family. So it's a really sweet, lovely moment. And... I love that then the music starts to come up and Ed is kind of um, meditating, like his mm-hmm. eyes are closed and yeah. he suddenly becomes hopeful and this sequence is just perfect. We see her hand on yeah. his shoulder. Oh, I I don't want to take away all the best parts, but... And then they make out passionately. Well, he has to marry her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like, of yeah. Of course I will. There you go. Then they start making out passionately. Okay. And, and then Shelly's just holding your coffee pot going like, oh, yeah, I don't really know what's going on, but I like it. Uh, oh, she that knows. was the spillover for me. It was like Shelly in the background <laughs> smiling. Like, cause she knows how much this means to them. And I just have the feels in my notes. Because the first time I watched it, like, I, I wasn't in the right mindset for Twin Peaks, I think. Mm. So I was just like, okay, this happened. And then I rewatched it to take some notes, and I was, like, crying. And I was like, all right. Because Kelly's yeah. like, didn't you sob? And I, I was like, no. Because I, I, I had to, this was like, I, I, like, could not stop crying. Because, well, the could not stop crying was the Ed by himself eating the soup. I think it was the, you know, this whole arc, they mm-hmm. really did lay out for us this devastating place that all of these people were in, including right. Jacoby and Nadine, to right. some extent. Everyone's mm-hmm. not super right. successful. And right everyone's now. alienated. And every scene we saw them alone, we saw, like, Nadine at her computer and Jacoby at his computer and, right. like, Ed and Norma still going through the motions but not connected. And I thought that, like, hand-on-his-shoulder moment was the perfect, like were together and it was just yeah, was a, a nice shot. way to say to the fans like hang on it's not all done <laughs> because like there will be some cheerful moments and it like pans up to a beautiful sky and I'm sure all three of us were thinking and what are you fucking gonna <laughs> lay on us after this because it's not gonna be electricity <laughs> moving look at it move <laughs> like, look at it move through all you of it just know, and then, you we just want know you just know my sweet and little cheese that that's not gonna be a have you noticed that evil coop is always press like the setting is always the highway scene mm-hmm. of just like mm-hmm. the headlights and then it's like okay we get yeah. it it's fucking evil coop it's a yeah. great transition move because it disorients you. You 
don't know where you are. It's inherently <laughs> scary. Where's he going? It's a lynch, linchpin. It's in every movie. Yeah. Lost Highway. Multiple Drive. Everything. Yeah. Stay tuned for after the podcast where we go through all these Lynch movies and force Kelly and Pat to watch all of these with me. not be for Have You Met Us? (laughs) (laughs) And then we will talk about that. So stay tuned for Laura Palmer is Dead Extras. Yay, there will be so many extras. Because I can't let it go. I mean, that's the vibe. Cried so many times this week. And again, I was new to Twin Peaks and Lynch in general. Like, I watched 20 minutes of Mulholland Drive and then I was like, Nah, but it was like <laughs> now I don't it's know, in whenever the, it first came out, and I was like, "Yeah, everyone's talking about this. I'm gonna try it." I was like, "Nope." Now that good. now that you know, now that drive know. is part of Twin yeah. Peaks universe, right? Now that I know all of this, <laughs> yeah, it would be funny to hear from my ex boyfriend Shane, who introduced me to this, to hear some of my comments from like the first times watching because I was by no means an Insta fan. I didn't, like, right away get hooked. I did get hooked very quickly, but not, like, minute one. I'm sure I had some comments. What that were my like, comments? Do you remember? No, you were lovely. You, like, loved it right away. <laughs> I thought, I, I really thought, too, playing this for Matt, I was like, this guy might break up with me. Like, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, I'm, and I probably downplayed how into it. I was like, I mean, it's kind of weird and like, whatever. you like, if you like it, cool. But well, I think it's the third, <laughs> the third episode is what like, right. hooked me for good. Was yeah. The Red Room. You are a weirdo. The first Red Room. Was, you are a weirdo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you have to get through, because I've watched the first episode before we decided to do this. And I was like. I don't know. I feel like I really have to pay attention. I don't know if I'm really into this. And now... Yeah. You do. And yeah, you're you totally... <laughs> where it was just like, might have had Fire Walk with me playing in the background. I was like, I never thought I would watch this movie again. I watched it for the first time. I was like, I can't. I can't do this. I can't do this. But now I'm like, wait a minute. Let me get my notes out. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we talked about this before. So, by the way, gang, we did confirm that those scenes from Fire Walk With Me were actually in Fire Walk With Me. So, Jeffrey's coming in, talking about Judy, which we haven't talked about Judy yet. Judy, Judy. But we talked about it, I think, last episode. Yeah. So, just a big one. Anyway, yeah. So, this, this whole sequence, of course, drastic change in tone. We've got Evil Coop going to meet Jeffrey's and... Part of how he's going to do this is, and the sequence of this is really like artfully staged with all the pass off between the different Doug Puzz. There's like right. Doug Puzz at each part of the. Um, right, and at one point when he asks for Jeffries, it's uh, he stamps his foot, or, or no, he he shifts a lever, and then uh, there's electricity and, and yes. flashes, and you see the guy with the nose mask, and that yeah. is from Fire Walk with Me. So the Doug Puzz turning the lever. Yeah. is in Fire Walk With Me. By the way, I'm but doing I, a hand motion. I don't know what that means, but uh, it was cool. That's what I guess. No, so. It's a whole like balletic dance, and it's the first time we see that these, we definitively see that these entrances are attached because they right. keep fading into like forest and convenience store and like forest yeah. and this other place. And this scene in general, which was why we spoke it's just very firewalk with yep. me. 
And now that Showtime re-released it... Because Melissa complained and Showtime listened (laughs) to her. Oh, right. And plus the finale. So (laughs) I listened to our podcast and... Because it was like, where can I find this? I I would be surprised David Lynch was like, I don't want to listen to the three most popular Twin Peaks podcasts. (laughs) I want to listen to like the fourth or fifth most popular and... That Melissa wants Fire Walk With Me on Showtime. I'm going to put it back on. Mm-hmm. Well, because Thank you, could, David Lynch. And this scene is very Fire Walk With <laughs> Me because even after the weird electricity scene, they go through some trees and then he's in the room with the wallpaper, which was the Laura painting room. Yes. Which you forget about, but right. you remember it because I was like, I even noted, mm-hmm. I was like, Laura's room, something with Laura's room. Is this wallpaper. So for those of you who didn't watch Fire Walk with me in the past month, what, <laughs> what Melissa's talking Stop, about. Stop, pause, <laughs> go watch it, come back. Or at least listen to our podcast episode of it. But what Melissa's referring to is a painting that Mrs. Tremont and her grandson, the magician, a.k.a. David Lynch's son, creepy cream corn boy, <laughs> um, give to Laura this painting that is of a empty room with rose wallpaper that's peeling and this room really acts as a transition into the convenience store we discover right Mm -hmm. through fire walk with me and it's reasserted in this episode which is neat they're really bringing things from fire walk with me completely full circle like it's true almost as a way of saying to assholes that were like fire walk with me was totally random what does it have to do with anything being like we're literally tying it all together so shut your mouth (laughs) um I think they were upset. I think people were upset be- of the by the violence. Right. And the, uh, well, and the, the father daughter. They raping. wanted yes. a yes, continuation well. of Twin Peaks, but this is the continuation of Twin right. Peaks, and this is so much more interesting. Right. And I do think one of the most interesting things about this series, besides David Lynch's totally innovative directing, is like that these actors, because they were somewhat. Be actors, and I don't think all of them deserved that, but let's be honest, that's what they are. They age naturally, they seem more real, they act and behave like more what flawed natural humans act and behave like, and to see people on TV like that is nice. And it really makes the story different and special, and I think that that is something that matters with this, you know, as well. Anyway. No, aging is... Preached. (laughs) The but passage of time and aging right. is a big theme, yeah. I think. And so having this is just really interesting. But So we get um, Evil Coop goes up the stairs to the convenience... Well, he's in the convenience store, and then he, like, flashes into this kind of courtyard. He kind of, like, walks up the side stairs of yep. the convenience Yeah, there's store. a whole bunch of different... Uh, yeah. It's like a whole series of things. Walks and then through the hall, walks through this, then the other. Right, then there's tree. There's flashes of trees, there's right. flashes of the It keeps weird. flashing back to Sycamore yeah, Grove, seemingly. Uh, yeah. Then he's, like, in a... Right, courtyard of apartment. Apartment. Uh, I think it's the motel from Firewalk with me. Very possible. Um, I didn't think that. Yeah. It's certainly yeah, possible right. because Where that's the only setting we haven't Leland seen. Leland came in to be like, I'm going to have sex with my daughter. Yeah. Oh no, it's my daughter. I'm and, not going to have sex with my daughter. Um, magician oh, right. boy put on the mask <laughs> and danced around in that little area. And we've seen flashes of that. So like very good, yeah. good theory. Yeah. We do get a character here in the courtyard that is 
uh, a, a woman in bedraggled <laughs> kind of house coat that says, I'll unlock the door for you to Cooper. And I have a theory that that's Judy. I just want to throw that out. Um, but I could be totally wrong. We don't know. Could be Judy. Could be Judy. She does speak in backwards speak, right? Or no, she mm-hmm. does. She, she does. does. She okay, does. yeah. So so here we get the Jeffries and Coop scene, which amazing that I like totally believe that this steaming tea kettle was <laughs> David Bowie, even though it wasn't, um, voiced by an actor who did a great job of sounding just like David Bowie. Yeah, but I have his name. Nathan... Fizzle? Fizzle? Good job, Nathan Fizzle. You had a very specific task Fizzle? to accomplish, and you accomplished it beautifully. <laughs> but can I just ask a general question on what... So, Bad Coop is a doppelganger, so he's Evil Coop. Does he have all of Good Coop's memories, then? I that's, have always thought that, yes, he it does. Appears to be because it's it been alluded to that he does. Yeah. But I just thought that was like... Let's explore that more in just a minute in the okay. scene called Gotcha! <laughs> Kelly, gotcha! I mean, that's coming in a little bit later. <laughs> First, got to finish this okay. kettle scene. <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. I want to get into that. I know you're super excited <laughs> for the gotcha scenes, which will be coming up in various new episodes what could for 15, <laughs> maybe for 16. Oh, Stay good. tuned. I just keep getting this. Sometimes... <laughs> Okay. Melissa gets really upset when she's wrong. <laughs> you gotta admit, though, I didn't gloat. I waited until you texted right. me. Anyway. <laughs> My texts were just, God damn it, Kelly. <laughs> and you're like, ha! <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I need a picture of you for my gotcha wall. <laughs> okay. Anyway, this is not a Parks and Rex podcast. So, um, so the Jeffries and Coop scene, giant tea kettle... We do get some radiator action, which is always a racer head. Um, <laughs> I found it interesting. Well, and just radiators in general, because right, right. the woman from the radiator. But <laughs> I found it interesting that this little the the way this exchange went was: Did you send Ray to kill me? Did and he, he says what? Right, <laughs> and it's like, did you? Did you call me five days ago? I don't have your number. Mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting. Yes. It's all about numbers, of course. Then we get that scene from Fire Walk With Me. Not a deleted scene, as it turns out. Actually happened. It happened, oh. listeners, at, in case you want to go and look it up, I took down the number, at 28 minutes and 16 seconds, <laughs> this scene happens yeah. in Fire Walk happens With Me. Happens early on, yeah. <laughs> So, I won't tell you my job, but... Well, it's corporate trainer, rare work, but part of it does involve listening to things and writing down the time markers of those things. So I've gotten good at that. That's good. Let's go. Um, 28 (laughs) minutes and 16 seconds, we hear this whole scene about Judy. We're not going to talk about Judy at all. And so then, and we did need that flashback because I didn't know, I didn't know that happened. And then, like, so is it Jeffrey's the one who's calling Coop and these other people trying to get evil Coop killed, like, now it seems like it... Well, I don't know, because... Jeffrey's imposter, or... Jeffrey seems to be a little bit more unstuck in time than... Because he then says, he points to Coop in 1989 and says, Who is that? Do you know who that is? So he's, like, thinking that that Coop is evil Coop, 
I think that Jeffries has just been in the Black Lodge for so long because he's not speaking right. backwards speak, but he's a giant tea kettle. So his form has <laughs> changed, but his speech has also changed for the yeah. better. I think he's just so into this world that now he would have no way of really getting out. Like, where think about the transition that Coop has to go through. No spoilers. But Bowie, you know, I mean, Jeffries. There's no hope for Jeffries, has <laughs> yeah. just been there too long. Too That's long. how I take it at yeah. least. Because he's kind of unstuck in time. He doesn't sense. know which Coop knows what. Because even here he says, So you are Coop to this Cooper, right? right. Because yeah. something about this Cooper makes him say, So you are Cooper. Because right? he remembered, he because the evil Cooper remembered in 1987, what? was it? Yeah. When he talks about Right. Right. Yeah, I guess I always assumed that you get the memories. If you're a doppelganger, you get all the memories. So maybe he... He was... He found out that memory, but he fooled Jeffries. Yeah. Maybe. Is that what we're... Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what what Jeffries is is Right. Because... If someone's pretending to be Jeffries, or it's a different, or it's doppelganger Jeffries, or something's going on. I mean, I think that Jeffries is the giant tea kettle. That's like the real Jeffries. The Jeffries that is displaced out into like, oh, calling him? Because he says, I don't have your number, but then I guess there is a... So then did he call other Cooper? Like, there's a lot of questions here. I do shrug think, emoji. Shrug, shrug emoji. emoji. I think, I think that Evil Coop has the memories of Coop. Seems like that, and, yeah. Which is why I always thought it would make se- more sense to me. Like, I never understood... Well, I guess I never understood Evil Coop's motives in general, and I still don't totally. I, right. I get that he doesn't want to go back to the Black Lodge. I see that. Yeah. But... You know, now that he doesn't have Bob, it doesn't seem to be just pure chaos for no reason. So, like, what does he really want? And it could just be that maybe he just wants to live? Yeah, could be. I don't know. Because to do that, he has to kind of erase a lot of people because there's another... He wants some sort of power to... Because wouldn't you think... In the underworld. Right. I guess what what I've... always assumed if I were in that situation where I was the doppelganger coop, I would like pop up with my memories and good looks and talent and be a great FBI agent and then do schemey things on the side or whatever I wanted. But like use that power to, you know, I wouldn't like go and be a long haired leather clad arm wrestler, but yeah. But how would people know that you're bad? That's right. They wouldn't know. They wouldn't (laughs) wouldn't know. know. They wouldn't know. So, uh, other thing of significance, we get numbers in the smoke that Jeffries tells Cooper to write down, which potentially are coordinates. Yeah. That's what Some I of think. which are 4851, and then I lost it. And I really yeah, just no, write it as a few far times. As it yeah. Went out. And then they've really pushed this Judy. So, like, yeah. That's so, what Judy, we're who's to be. Judy is a big thing. We know that Cooper's already met Judy, which I'm like, okay, so then she could be that woman in the courtyard, but that seems pretty cheap. To, yeah. like, re-bring up a character. And right then, away. Like, that yeah. seems cheap. From what they've been, like, the past two episodes, because we heard about her last episode, too. I feel like they're making her be a bigger thing right? than she is. Even, like, yeah. 
So I think it's going to be a more significant thing. In the you know who else we've never talked about? In the very first scene, I'll keep going back to it, is the giant says, remember 430 Richard and Linda. We obviously have a very significant Richard in the story, but who the fuck is Linda? We still don't know. No. So speaking of a very significant Richard in the story. Oh. <laughs> it has to happen. <laughs> I'm going to love every minute. Um, so Cooper comes outside the convenience store and who's sad face here. (laughs) Who's who's waiting for him but Richard P. Horn. We don't know Richard's full name at all, but um, Richard has a gun that he's holding out on Cooper and we get a reason for it that I think is good Good setup, very logical. He says, you're FBI. I've seen your picture. Mm-hmm. Oh, the same picture that everyone has of you in front of the red curtain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, it's that one screenshot from <laughs> one of the movies. Tammy has it. <laughs> yeah. The black watch picture, you know. We Google image you. It was image number three. <laughs> we that picture. the first one. Didn't really show the full face. But this one. Evil Coop, never one to be rattled, says... You know, how do you have that picture? Richard says, my mom had it. Who's your mom? Audrey Horn. God. <laughs> <laughs> the matter-of-factness of this exchange, just, it's, as Pat, I want to paint the picture. Face, sad face, sad face, sad <laughs> face. Listeners, for whatever reason, Melissa, just contrary to logic... And popular belief decided she did not want to believe that. Optimist, goddamn! They were like that one person who was like, "No, Jon Snow is not a target." (laughs) (laughs) Just didn't want to believe it. Obvious. And when Pat and I watched this, I was like, "Well, doesn't get more clear than that." (laughs) I was like, "Who's your mom? Audrey Horn." (laughs) Boop, boop. No room for interpretation. Oh no. But what I thought was even better, and it's all good, but gotcha. <laughs> um, even better, though, I thought the after moment of this was perfect. So Coop, like, does this little thing where he tilts his head and kind of looks at Richard for one moment. In my mind, his subject is like, eyebrows. <laughs> he, like, confirms, like, yep, you've got those eyebrows. You're, that's correct. And then he <laughs> punches him right in the face and just, like, knocks him out. And he spits to distract Richard. Oh, yeah, he spits. Which is a, a stupid thing to be distracted <laughs> by. Like, oh, I'll follow your spit to the ground so you can easily punch me and take my gun away. Yep. <laughs> but what I think is, like, important about this is that we have just seen that Evil Cooper can kill someone by punching them. And he has cho- chosen not to do so. Oh, look at you. With this little yeah. yelpling. Um, I know. I just wrote, uh, now Richard goes with bad coop. Yep. And then Richard texts Las Vegas, which we, ass- this is where it's like, oh. To Diane. Or senior. is it to Diane? Or is it to Chantel? Could be. Yeah, that's because true. Chantel. In they still have a job uh, to do. Right. Know, so. Because that was the big thing. Like, is it to Diane? Is yeah. that who she's texting? This whole sequence to me, when Coop goes, don't ever threaten me again. Get in the truck. We'll talk on the way. It's like, 
disciplined daddy. <laughs> like, it's like Richard Horn, uh, you had a. I hate that you're so right. <laughs> I hate like, it so much. He's like, I hate it. I like your moxie, kid, but you know what? We're going to be doing things differently. And Richard just is like, okay, Paul. And just gets right in the car. Like, two besties. Well, we don't know that he's his dad yet. We don't know that yet. <laughs> we don't know that yet. But if, if lessons would tell us. <laughs> Who we should bet against and who we shouldn't. <laughs> Fine, Kelly. It's one win. One win. I think to act like it would. I don't know. It would be pretty freaking obvious to go with like Audrey is his mom and Evil Coops his dad, but that yeah. does seem like the most obvious way. Anyway, Audrey is the only one who could have been his mom because Johnny. Right. I do think it's all, it was almost a funny nod to like, because there had been so much drama about Richard Horn, like so many articles and just people guessing. And then it just comes down to who's your mom? Audrey Horn. (laughs) (laughs) Two lines. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) So they ride off in the distance and then the convenience store smokes for right four to seven seconds too long. (laughs) <laughs> and then just yep, and then it's like trees. trees. You know, I had a teacher in senior year who was extremely hot and very young in that way where it was like everyone sort of wanted to sleep with him, but he was like slightly too old, but like not quite too old. Anyway, he had this technique where he would just go transition when he wanted to transition with like a hand signal. And I've taken to like writing that in my notes when there's a Lynchian transition, and I wrote that after the Discipline daddy scene that was clearly like transition convenience store sycamore trees like no we get what you're doing yeah I like to say plot twist and then continue <laughs> so to the Twin Peaks trees now and like I don't know if this speaks to characters that I care about and characters that I don't but I continuously forget that Stephen and Gersten have this big. Very well done scene. I mean, for both of them, like, very, very well done scene in the forest. That's incredibly intense. Gives us a lot. But then, can I just mention that something that really irked me was, what's her name? Gershon? Gersten. Gersten Gersten Hayward. Hayward. The Hayward girl has a perfect manicure. Like, she has perfectly purple nails. And I was like... It's That's way, like a thing in Twin Peaks. Every woman in Twin Peaks has I a mean, perfect manicure. I mean, she's pretty, uh, pretty stunning all but, around. Right. But when you're tweaked out, you have my manicure, which is chipped. I it's know. like, oh, I need to do something about this. But <laughs> you know what's? It's but that, not a but that's all the thing She's not the, sitting there while. So well, the signature is, move in Twin Peaks, the original Twin series, was the like lacquered on fake red. Like, fire engine red nails. Right. Like, that's the look. Oh, and by the way, when we do our costumes for Halloween, gotta do that. Oh. That's like a duh. gotta do. Gotta do. We'll have a spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. In Twin Weeks, they do, like, there's no excuse to not have the lacquered nails. Visually, what struck me with this scene, of course, it's the beautiful Snoqualmie forest that Pat and I have been to. And both, you know... We were in an altered state part of the time that we were there. <laughs> it, and I mean, it can, not all the time, an just, altered state of joy we were together. <laughs> <laughs> just 
pistol It can get. Papa Klein, that's only Pat who does that. Your precious baby angel, Kelly. It's just medical. It's medical. He knows. Anyway, so. It is the type of forest where the beauty is enhanced by smoking, but it's also like a fearful, scary place. Like, and well, they're on something a lot stronger. They are. They're yeah. tweaking out like hardcore. We keep getting clues about this drug use in the town. We get it at the end of this episode. We get it in subsequent episodes. I feel like it's almost a C plot at this point. It is, but it has to come to the surface. Like, it right. has to come. We to only the have three more hours left of this show. Well, it's a C-plot, but Richard is dealing it with Red, who, you know, like... uh, Right. We don't know how... Exactly. And Shelley. Right. So there's potential to really bring this to the front, but right now it is sort of a background thing. And the image of this green forest that these trees are, you know, the Douglas pines are like so high covered in moss. And then these two red specks kind of in the, like in the, do you want to go on one of your gingerness? I will not. Cause actually I think their gingerness really serves this scene. They're both wearing red shirts and being aggressively ginger. Especially um, <laughs> such disdain. <laughs> Being aggressively ginger in the best way possible. So it's like a little splash of red. And it just brings to to the point that's like, in the grand scheme of things, they're not that significant. But this is a huge moment in these characters' lives. So Stephen's tweaking out and is going to commit suicide, potentially. But there's an exchange that's interesting that speaks to a potential future plot um, of... You know, Gersten saying why about why you're going to kill yourself. There's no why I did do it. And then Gersten says, no, she did it. Which we assume right. is Becky probably. So what did what did they him do? or her? Does it mean? Was, and then, yeah. you know, again, Gersten says, like, you're fucking stoned. They're see- so we're getting more of, like, the drugs are bad. People are heightened, <laughs> acting heightened and crazy. What do they give right. you? Right. It's something she says. So maybe he's trying to deal with Red. Who knows? I just think this whole sh- yeah. scene is really... red people, so... They're both very <laughs> red. And everything else is green. And we get the guy walking the dog who looks like a dog pub, but then it's just a dude walking a dog, which I think is very clever. And then at one point... The audience is torn to shit. Steven's gonna kill this dude. Right. <laughs> Dog, which is what I thought at least. The man was smart to leave that yeah. situation very quickly. I also uh, thought um, <laughs> that all the dialogue around, you know, like Steven thinking about death and then. Right. At first, he's very sure that he wants to do it. And then he's like, but what if nothing happens? And then he's remembering fucking her. And I think that that's right. important because we always talk about in Twin Peaks, like, Bob is brought on by the pleasures and the fear. And, like, yeah. that, like, these two are in a fear-pleasure moment. Like, they right. could fuck or they could kill each other right in this moment. Right. So it's a it's a perfect, like, Bob Are we upset if he did kill himself? To- no. I don't know. But I do. Did he kill himself? Did he kill himself? I think he did. Well, I do. I'm more invested in what that will do for Becky and for for Shelly and Bobby and like 
the story. Right. I think it's a more dramatic choice if he did. But one of the lines I really liked was, where would I go when I'm gone? Will I be completely turquoise? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but I really enjoyed that. Well, it does make you think, like, this is a duty. This is the end. This is a duty, is what yeah. he says. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and... and weirdly deep for... I like the way um, Alicia okay. Witt... This, yeah. this is an actress who has been cast a lot in roles that make her unlikable. And she does a good job playing unlikable, but in playing the other woman, she consistently plays like the other woman. And watching her talking about uh, two weeks' notice, Avi, Avi, I hated her in that. Hated her because she was so perfect. Right, she's such a good actress. Yeah, and in this, it was a time where I really appreciated her because she um, she had a lot going on. I loved how when she there's a moment where the guy walking the dog comes by and she sort of scurries away and you wonder for a second, was she running away from him out of fear or was she just shocked and running away from the dude? Right. And then there's this, like she hears the click of the gun and doesn't go towards him. No. Like she's got a lot going on in, that, yeah. in her inner monologue and like her inner story. And I thought she did a great job of like taking this, could have been a nothing character and making it like so fleshed out and cool. And she has yeah. a very large key around her neck. It was right. A, it was a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. And then she was afraid to even look to see if Steve right. had done it. And that tree being so, so wide too yeah. helps with the drama because it's like, yes, you love your person, but there's that self preservation instinct that like, here's a man with a gun, and like, if I get close to him, is he going to shoot me? And he's talking about like when you come up and, like, her dying. So I thought she just, like, really nailed it. And it made me question, you know, her relationship versus Becky's, where, like, she's the girl, like, there in the woods with him. Mm-hmm. So I, it's in, it just made me see her in a different light, which I really appreciated. And then, of course, Carl has to get involved from well, Fat Trout. Of course. Because, is Fat Trout Farms. Yep, because... Uh, um, the dog walker comes in and right. tells Carl. Yes, yes. So, goes, oh, they live in that trailer. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. So fairly that's certain this is going to come back to poor Shelly, which just like, it's like, <laughs> I like, I just bypassed Becky. Like, I'm like, yeah. nah, fuck Becky. <laughs> um, then we get to the Bang Bang Bar and um, playing ZZ Top, Sharp Dress Man. <laughs> A scene of Renee and the gang and James, James. and Freddie. And, and good old James. Good old you're James. Still yeah. Fucking I'm going to get us some of the champagne here while we talk about James. Well, because James, still the same James where he comes on screen, especially this scene, was one of those... Oh, fuck you, James. What are you doing? Why are you so stupid? But I don't, which I, I think it's feels from the beginning. Well, <sighs> I don't know. I think they've set up some something here where, like, it's not just James's usual naivete. Yeah. It's that he was in a motorcycle accident and yeah. he's like. He's a little bit off. Actual disabilities. Like, well, I put, like my note is good to know you're still stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wasn't smart before. <laughs> right, right. But here he's, he's just. Because he, he yeah, like, he's very comes up to her and says, like, hi, Renee. It's good to see you, Renee. Well, I like her. Like, he's just being, 
genuine, but yeah. he doesn't know the social mores and the way that you right. have to behave. I, and he is with it when you, the previous episode when they talk about how the kid gets. No, not really. Yes, he is. I, I feel mean, like he's not he is. Like, that's why I think something's this not, means, something's no, off. he's not. There's something off. I'm not saying this, but I feel like. But he did go down to that weird cellar yeah. in between and look right. at that door. So maybe but something even, in the door made after, him stupid. Even after then, uh, his English friend punches out Chuck and the other guy. Right. James is like, these guys are really hurt. You gotta help them. Right. right. So he is not. His I mean, eyes he's not, do not like, look right. That's what he yeah. said. Really right. Sad. Well, it could, so it could be like a comp- there's a lot of things. I mean, he's not completely like he doesn't have like a mental impairment now. No, I'm not he saying impairment. Have... I'm saying something akin I to like just thought something that they PTSD. Said, right. Sure. Maybe sure, cancer yeah. because of how he looks and how skinny and scary he looks. That's why I thought they were going this accident route. Like that's why right. he looks so crazy. I didn't know if his. He was always so James, right? And so kind of dumb. Well, let's face it. I mean, but he's so dumb. Tracked Laura <laughs> quote. No, I know. At least now he's not like melodramatic all the time. <laughs> no, what I'm more curious about in this scene, it and subsequent scenes, is that Renee's reaction to James when he's singing on stage and she's like. Crying yeah, for the totality yeah. of her love for him versus here, where she almost seems irritated that he's yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, makes me wonder. Her husband's right there, too. Well, though. yeah, but it also makes me wonder was the Renee we saw when she was like crying with love for James, James's perception of Renee and not like the reality? Mm-hmm. Like, I have to question if Renee has been kind of a character who's just been like a dream character like she's just like everyone James is in like the red room or something it could be and could the bang very well be. how we all connected oh you could be right oh, i know spoilers. <laughs> Subtle spoilers um no. i mean it could totally be right you really this, think it, about it renee's behavior is weird to me why would james be singing that one fucking song from 20 years ago <laughs> I know, and then why would the Bang Bang Bar be like this hip place in the middle of this small town? Where everyone where dances these, like, like a hipster, no matter what type of music's playing. No, it's true, and Nine Inch Nails and Eddie Vedder, and like all these sway. famous. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, theory alert. Okay. Gang, yeah, we might be uh, podcasting about 16 tonight, so maybe so, you'll be hearing two Emmys. <laughs> interesting, interesting. We can't get ahead of ourselves. So, Bang Bang Bar, that's it for there. And then we go to Vegas and get all the Douglas Joneses in custody. Not really that important. It's a bunch of kids. That's when, uh... Chantel takes care of... Disposes of Roger and Duncan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get Uh, the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, all the kids. It's like, you're taking the husband... Yeah. Kids! If you were taking in the husband and wife, why would you take all the children? (laughs) feel like that's not something people do. Well, if if no one's there to watch them. Yeah, I I will have to say, if I have to give a, you know, every scene, even the scenes that have in the past felt like transition to me, like 
the Meacham brothers. Love them. They became like a real plot. Right. Like, really love the Meachams. <laughs> but this one Vegas, like, Heedley and Wilson, like, those two, like, I can't get, I can't care about them. You know, my philosophy is that my theory is because they're not connected to any of our characters mm-hmm. that we're invested in. That's true. We can deal with Buckhorn because they have Gordon so really Cole and Albert. But this is just, like, pure, I don't understand, like, I don't like these two. Right. Like, I don't like, know why sort of he's here. like, Wilson. And I was like, I don't, am I supposed to get something that I'm not? I mean, that's Dennis the Menace. Like, but. <laughs> that's like, true. They're definitely comic But movies. that's I right. They're like, trying to not, be comic really. They're good. Why, it's why not necessary. Just, it's not, we've got Why enough. not just use the Fusco brothers? Yeah, we right. love the Fuscos. Although, for some uh, reason, the Fuscos work better for me than that those two. But yeah, what I do like oh, about Chantel killing Roger and Duncan, pour one out for Roger and Duncan, very good Lynchian villains, <laughs> is that she's dressed to the nines with her Labutins and she's like got one to go on her cell phone with Hutch. Just classic Chantel. Like she just could not give a shit. Like her <laughs> world is so different and I love it. And then Later, when we see them afterwards, like, Chantel just needs a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, my God. And I love the line where she's like, my phone's over when I actually kill someone. <laughs> and, like, they're talking about her torture. Yeah, we haven't gotten to do that too long. He's like, I know. It just hasn't worked out. It hasn't like, worked out. My favorite line was, did you get me dessert? And he goes, you know I did. I so love you, guys. <laughs> I was like, that's love. That's I know that little scene made me like, like mm. just love them. I was like, Chantel, of course Hunter. you did because he loves you. They're adorable. <laughs> no, it was so good the way he was like, I know it just hasn't worked out. Like, I wish I could get you more torture opportunities. <laughs> like, I haven't had a lot of training lately, and my boss will say that. Like, she'll be like, oh, I want to get you back in the classroom, and I felt like that was like Chantel and Hutch. Like, just hasn't worked out. So good. They're they're so cute <laughs> for murderers. It's horrible. Um, the only thing we skipped was just Twin Peaks Prison. Um, James and Freddie now are locked up in cells 7 and 8, respectively. And so they're across from NATO and potentially near Billy, maybe. And there's or lots of chattering. Drunk guys, how he's yeah. on the crowd. Right, right. Right. And then we get Chad. Dougie Coop and Janie E. Um, I, I love this that Janie is like, oh, Dougie, it's like all our dreams have come true. Yeah, because your horrible husband's been replaced with Kyle McLaughlin. (laughs) (laughs) And he says, true, in a (laughs) real Cooper way. We're getting closer to Cooper. Cooper. Um, Eating cake versus TV power. Oh, Oh, here we go. Sunset Boulevard. (laughs) Yes, because he's eating cake. And then he moves the... (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad that you had to really read through your notes. Like, I don't know what, what the this means. This they power. give him, Janie E gives him cake because he loves his desserts. He moves his salt and pepper shaker. Yep. And then he's just playing with the remote and, and turns the TV. Yeah. And it's Sunset Boulevard, which all of us with a musical theater degree will know that one of the characters in Sunset Boulevard is. Gordon Cole and the character goes get me Gordon Cole and Dougie Coop stares at the screen freaking out and looks at the electric socket he's as this is happening I said he looks more and more like Dale like every minute he's becoming more and more lucid 
he hears the static and takes the fork and purposely shoves it into the electric socket to shock himself. Janie screams and we black out. So hopefully, because hopefully, I don't coop. I haven't really electrocuted myself like ever. Maybe once, maybe twice, but like it never caused a power surge. But I never did it purposely. <laughs> Do you think that it does cause such a power surge well, that like you it are, flashes? Dale Cooper does. Um, just want to talk about Sunset Boulevard for a second and its significance. So. Sunset Boulevard, besides having the character Gordon Cole, which obviously was on purpose, is a movie about an aging film star from the silent era who attempts to make a comeback in the like talky era, and um, and like her, it's all about how she's like aging and she doesn't fit in this world, and like in the silent era, it was like slower and more deliberate and classical. So I could see how Lynch would, like, love Sunset Boulevard. Mm. It makes a lot of sense. Did my little recorder stop there? Sure did. Mm. Oh, well. We'll have to hope the computer works. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are we ready for Log Lady? Uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. So we get the final Log Lady call. And I can't even imagine like for both these actors what this must have been like to do this scene and you know kudos yeah you must have loved each other loved each other and been very brave it's a brave thing to talk about death when you know you yourself are experiencing death I think that that's just incredibly brave and she doesn't really have to be acting no (laughs) right No, I, and I didn't take any of this as acting. In fact, it felt, you know, the closest I can relate it to, I always say, despite like having like some theater background minimally and people think, oh, if you've done one play, you must just constantly want attention and want people to be looking at you. But like when we got married, I remember feeling like it was the most invasive thing. Mm -hmm. It felt very uncomfortable to have like, people around listening to you talk about your feelings with each other and this commitment you were making to each other Mm -hmm. and how like odd that was. And it was like (laughs) very vulnerable and, and like the idea of communicating what it would feel like to die when you know you're dying in front of all these people takes a lot of bravery. And Margaret Latterman did an amazing job. And she, she calls um, Hawk to tell him that she's dying. That it's just a change, not an end. Yeah, death is, as um, you know, death is a change, not an end. Which I thought was really... It's, and she, she says, watch out for that one. The one I told you about. And the one <clears throat> under the moon on Blue Pine Mountain. Yeah, Right? So there's some more... Riddles that she leaves us with, and we know Blue Pine Mountain is Major Briggs's station that we're going to be taken to at some and point. To remember our talks face to face, talk. It's time some fear and letting go, and then my log is turning gold. The wind is moaning. Good night, Hawk. So I feel like my log is turning gold. Is it's going up in flames? Yeah. Right, I, I yeah. thought it was so, um, right, right. this, the, like, when we used to talk face-to-face was a commentary on the world we're in today, 
We're like, we don't talk face to face anymore because we're all on the internet. And I love the way he said, good night, good night, Margaret. The same way he always does hangs up the phone and says, goodbye, Margaret. Mm -hmm. And then this next scene in the conference room was just the loveliest send off they could possibly have done. It was, um, Andy, Lucy Truman, Truman, Bobby and Hawk. Um, and they come in and just Hawk says, Margaret Lannerman passed away. And Lucy says the log lady. And it, the way they shoot it, Lucy's the only one in the light because of her height. Like everyone else is taller than her. And so Lucy's like framed in the light crying in a very lovely the way. She's a great, she's a great actress. And Sheriff Truman takes off his hat. It's just a beautiful, beautiful send-off. Yeah. And you can tell from these two sequences that Margaret Latterman means something to the Twin Peaks community and that they wanted her, you know, her send-off to be right, meaningful. Right. Yes. And I thought they did a great job. And I I just, I yeah, we, they nailed we this. We thought she was only going to be in, like, the first maybe couple episodes Right. I mean, every time you saw her, you thought maybe that's her last episode. I know, and this, this was, was so beautiful. Yeah. It was. It was really, really beautiful. And I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that, like, her her part in this was her perfect level of involvement. And I like that they didn't hide that she was sick or try to make her not seem vulnerable. Right. I loved the cabin light turning off. Of her place at the end of that scene. I thought that was just yeah. perfect. And and the trust that, like, Hawk just knows she's done. It's just, it's beautiful. And it was nice bookends. Because the beginning of the episode is Ed and Norma. And then you get Log Lady. And it's like, for Twin Peaks fans, these are two, you know, these are characters that are beloved. That deserve right. a happy, good send-off. And they get that. So that's, like, mm-hmm. a lovely thing. But... Then we then get a little get bit to... of Audrey and oh, Charlie. Oh, sweet, sweet Audrey. I just, like, ugh, can't. And Charlie just being like, I'm so sleepy. Which I totally get. No one wants to go out when they don't want to go out. I mean, out. and you oh, watch the scene. so sleepy. And you think about <laughs> the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. And right. you really see that with Audrey and Charlie. They are both, we have seen the same scene now multiple times, but, yeah. but you so have to think about, <laughs> well, you have to think about David Lynch and say to yourself, would he invest <laughs> this time to drive us nowhere? You know, he yeah. wouldn't do that. We it's just been, have to have patience. We have to have He's patience. just not going to show it to us right away. Interestingly, right. in this scene, I think the major development is that Charlie does have his coat on, and he references on the threshold mm-hmm. multiple times. Are you just so it's not like stand here on the threshold. Right, that's not what I call the door. Are you just going <laughs> to stand here at the door? It <laughs> wasn't what past you said. It's a very poetic guy. <laughs> and then. Then she has this moment, and what I've been seeing in Audrey is she'll have these moments where she's being sassy Audrey, but then, like, remember when we first saw her, you were like, oh, she's the new Catherine Martell. But what what changed that for you, I would imagine, is seeing that, like, her reactions are clearly to buffer, like, her intense fear and confusion. Right. Because she's like... Definitely some, like, psychosomatic stuff going on where <laughs> right. she's trying to 
because then she just screams that I like Billy better. Billy doesn't speak to me like this. I like Billy. Right. Which is almost childish, and they're still having their coat fight. And There's then she, a, yeah. Then my favorite line is, I never saw you before. Who are you, Charlie? Yes. And then it's like, well, shit, like, there's stuff going on here. Yeah, and she had that with herself. Ooh. Like, who am I? So this right. is where we really do keep thinking, and it keeps building to this, like, could she not really be in Twin Peaks in right. Walking Distance the Roadhouse? Because we know she was in a coma. We, The way that information was given to us was she was in a coma. So that makes you think she either died or came out of it. Yeah. Not she is in a coma. But, but we know she had to have birth. She had to give birth though. to Richard. Yeah, but we also um, know that Richard current day doesn't have much involvement with her. Right. It's certainly possible that she is in some sort of state that's right. not, you know, totally... Then it, yep. I mean, then it ends with Audrey attacking Charlie. Oh. My phone's doing something I've never seen it do before, and I'm not okay with it. <laughs> um, it does look really... It's a game. Yeah. So Audrey attacks Charlie. She says, I hate you. She's, she's strangling him. And I feel like, to her, this is the one person she can exert control over. She's so confused. She's so powerless that here's someone that she can actually make feel something. And I think really the only reason she lashes out at Charlie so severely is that he's there. And if if she's in the Black Lodge, or if you what you said before, the Bang Bang Bar is the Black Lodge, or some other plane. otherworldly plane... They, they mention Billy in the Bang Bang Bar, and she mentions Billy. No one else outside of the Bang Bang Bar or... That's you know, true. So because, Billy. like, there's these... Oh, so okay. the Bang Bang right. Bar... Bang Bang Bar is another plane. And uh, it's like, we've mentioned the Nut House, but we don't know where the Nut House also, is. Also, they have... The Bang Bang Bar had nine-inch nails. Right. No, I never thought that about the Bang Bang Bar, but... And no, actually, that transitions to well to our next scene. Although James goes to the bar, though. So. Well, yeah, that's true. And Shelley goes there. I mean, I, uh, but yeah. but there could be the real Bang Bang Bar and this and other. Bang the bang other bang. Bang. But right, right. Knows? That's Who true. Knows? That's true. So next scene, I want to say Charlene Yee, uh, yes. you're awesome. We love you. And we assumed it was you because of your. Overall characteristics. And, like, she, you just play yourself in a great way. <laughs> but also, like, We're this like, was a great the girl? role for And then it's like, of course it is. Great role for you, Charlene Yee. And you nailed it. Like, way to commit. And I, as I knew, like, I felt like Michael Sarah was in Twin Peaks because he was a fan. Charlene, Lee, Charlene Yee, I know you're in Twin Peaks because you're a fan. Also because you're brilliant and it was perfect role for you. But, like, she's a fan. Great she experience. was like, how can I get in Twin Peaks? So, Charlene Yee, a.k.a. Ruby, is waiting in a booth, being her nerdy, adorable self, big glasses and a beard, just listening to the music. The band is The Veils. The song is Axodal from Total Depravity. <laughs> the album is fantastic. Love this band. Um, it sounds very, like, animalistic, and it's just a great Intense, song. Yeah. Two big biker guys come up, and they remove Charlene Yee from the booth, and she just <laughs> is sitting cross-legged on the floor listening, totally unperturbed by anything going on. 
Side note, would you ever sit in the Bang Bang Bar's floor, though? I mean, like, I know I would. Oh, the no. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like one of those floors that even walking across will just have that layer of stick on them. Even, like, when they clean it and it's still that weird, like, cleaning stick. Or, oh, like, yeah. you're like, yeah. yeah. So I don't think I would the touch the floor, oh, yeah, the but floor, I, that's something that I noted because it really kind of bothered me. Agreed. But... Love the way they do this scene. The band and the music is very um, like rhythmic, a little bit metal, but not really. Uh, Just listen to it. Listen yeah. to the veils. It's A X O L O T L from the album Total Depravity. Great song. It's on our playlist at the Bang Bang Bar at Simple <laughs> the Bang Bang Bar. Uh, and Ruby slowly starts to crawl to the middle of the floor as this song is going on and begins to scream in a very Laura Palmer screaming way. Yeah. And the lights are kind of flickering. It makes me think of the Pink Room song from Fire Walk With Me that we just watched. Oh, yeah. Right. It's like it that same like type that. of feel. Yeah, it's that it same sort of rhythmic swell, like girls screaming, kind of like music going. Yeah. So loved it. I thought it was a great end. Um. And then the very end credits is Philip Jeffrey's apartment complex. So oh, yeah, yeah. that's where we're left off. 16 oh, will I... have some major answers for us that we will be discussing very soon. But mm. meanwhile. <laughs>